we start? We can start whenever you're ready. Oh. Well, you know what? We didn't talk at all about how to introduce this show. Should we give it a name of some kind? I should think we, we call should it? call it the Alien Supplement. The Alien Supplement. I was thinking about something clever like the Narcissus. We're in the shuttle. No, that's not good. Um, it would be a pro since it's for, you know, kind of narcissistic for us to expect everyone to want to listen to us. Yeah, we've got the blister and we've got the... Um, I thought about the blister. And what's the, sh- what's the shuttle is called? The Sulaco? No, the su- shuttle's called the... The Narcissus. Oh, the, the shuttle? shuttle's the Narcissus, yeah. right, right. Well, we'll come. Maybe we'll come up with something before this airs. We don't have to. We don't have to say it. But it's a Mike supplemental right edition. We can say, "Welcome to a welcome to the Alien Supplement." Man, that sounds like a pill. That sounds like some alien pill, a poison pill. <laughs> I'm not sure. We're gonna have to keep brainstorming this. Probably doing it off mic would be preferable. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a supplemental edition of Alien Minute. We're not quite sure what we're going to call it yet, but uh, we thought we would take some time to look at some of the other things. There's so much stuff to talk about. I cannot believe that I'm not sick of this movie yet, but I'm not sick of this movie. And I have all sorts of interesting things that don't necessarily tie into a minute or so much of the stuff that maybe has to do with how the movie was received. And I don't know where we're going to, you know, we don't have enough end credits to talk about all that stuff. So we thought we would do uh, an extra episode here, um, and hopefully it's going to lead to some other things. I'm Mitch Bryan, by the way. I'm John Engel. Um, I was going to add to that, Mitch. Being that we do this show in the one-minute-at-a-time format, often we get tweets, we get Facebook comments that either wonder why we didn't mention such-and-such or just go ahead and offer the information, and uh, sometimes that information either gets past us or we didn't know it. I mean, we don't know everything about Alien. But uh, other times you'll find yourself in conversation while we'll have a guest on and we'll get in conversation. I've got notes that just didn't work out for the episode where I was looking down, I had a bullet point, And by the time we got to a certain point in the show, I said, you know, I think the time has passed. I don't think that that's going to fit in this conversation. So this show will give us a chance to fill in. You know, I can hit some of those bullet points or... Mitch can hit some of his, or we can talk about supplemental material that was uh, published at the time the movie came out or since. And uh, I will point out as well that this is the first supplemental episode. We plan on doing more, and this one is on the house. We're going to put it in the feed with everything else, but in the future episodes, we're going to do a Patreon page for them, a subscription page that you can come to at patreon.com forward slash alien minute, and you can contribute we're not 100% sure how it's all going to uh, lay out as far as the uh, contribution tiers and the rewards for those tiers. But um, we're gonna ha- we'll are gonna put something out there by the time you've heard this episode, and we're willing to take feedback on that. So let us know. But come to patreon.com forward slash Alien Minute, and we'll uh, have future episodes there. Okay, so let's begin. Mitch, what do you want to talk about first? You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. I was at a club the other night and I was talking to a friend of mine who had just seen 
Neon Demon and was telling me that it was the worst movie he'd ever seen in his life and that uh, that he had that people were walking out. Uh, he did a slow clap at the end just to <laughs> kind of annoy everybody. And his hatred was so intense that I was just laughing my ass off. So I thought that that might be something to take a couple of minutes to talk about because it reminded me of the episode that we did that was titled um, This Movie Doesn't Care If You Like It. Right. <laughs> and I was sort of thinking about, you know, Neon Demon and, and how much the director cares or doesn't care whether you like his movie. We went to see this movie together and just to give you an idea of the big shot podcasters we are here in Kansas City. Um, we, we drove down to the theater. We went to the ticket booth. They saw it. So they were like, it's John and Mitch. And what must have happened, Mitch, the only thing I can think of is they said, these guys are the, these are the co-hosts of Alien Minute. Let's clear the theater. So they, they called ahead and uh, probably gave some rain checks and cleared the theater for us because once we got in there, it was our own private screening room. And I really, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Mitch, but I really appreciated that. Yeah, they me? were really nice to do that. Yeah, that, that's the only reason I can think of why there was absolutely nobody else in the I was theater. about ready to light up a cigar. <laughs> but, you know, there's no flicker anymore with digital stuff. No. And so it doesn't yeah, look it the doesn't, same. Smoke doesn't look the same in the movie You can't theater. stand up and have that smoky silhouette quite the no. same. Yeah. No, folks, there was nobody there. <laughs> Mitch well, and, and I got a nice is, private screening room for this movie. and It's a movie that ought to be running at art houses. And most of the art houses here didn't have it. Yeah. Um, the major chains had it, which is mm. just That's nuts. a whole other subject, kind yeah. of. So we watched the whole movie in this weird semi-silence, although I laughed a lot. I, I think that the movie is kind of funny. I think that it's yeah. a movie that's... I never know with this guy, with this director, whether his head's up his ass or whether he's pulling my leg or maybe both, because there are parts of it where it's so outrageous and 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 yet it's, it's beautiful and the music's great and it's stylish and and it it seems to be up to something it seems to be talking about concepts of beauty and of course it's an LA movie so it's all about the you know vampires in LA not not literally but figuratively the town that chews people up and spits them out but it's uh, yeah it's a really extraordinary movie i think and i don't like all of his movies but there's something about it that it felt fresh and it felt unusual and you know these days i just pretty much like the ones that feel a little weird it's funny i do i i guess i do like all of his movies um i've never seen any of the pusher films but if you want to take those and relegate them to television made for tv movies anyway i don't know but i like everything he's done since 15 people went to see only god forgives and so i was two of them because i went to see it twice and the alamo draft house had it here in kansas city which I was surprised they didn't latch onto Neon Demon here. I I thought they had it for a week. Maybe they did. You might be right. Yeah. I but it didn't didn't last. I think everybody had it for only a week though, man. Maybe two. Right. It might have been two. Yeah. For some reason, we decided not to go down there. It was gone I'm, by the time we went and saw it. It wasn't at the draft house yeah. anymore. So we saw it in week two. Yeah. And I do That's think right. it lasted another week. Maybe. And that was about it. Yeah. We're uh, sort of talking around the movie, but yeah, I guess we. But are. to be specific, I just I do want to say that I was really taken with. The visual style, I was really taken with how the movie pretty much tells its story in pictures. Yeah. The dialogue is kept to a minimum. I love all of the mystery. I love the fact that it takes you in one direction and then it kind of changes gears at a certain point. You think it's going to be one thing, it kind of becomes something else. There are moments that are very kind of David Lynch in it, very surrealistic moments that then have kind of rational explanations that you kind of feel like for the most part 
for the for at least two thirds of the movie that 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 stuff maybe kind of could happen, and it and it only until it gets to the third act when it begins to reveal itself, you know, as more of a, a more of a horror picture. And I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that. Um, it's it's a kind of fascinating, surreal movie. Yeah, you said you don't know if he's got his head up his ass or if he's pulling your leg. I think he is doing both things. I think he gets a he gets a joy out of pulling you in with his narcissistic, you know, pretentious. I there's no doubt the guy's a pretentious filmmaker. Yeah, he he really kind of only cares about his vision. He doesn't care, like we said, how it's received. He doesn't care if you like it or not. And I think he takes a perverse joy in that. And we've seen other filmmakers do that in the past. Gaspar Noe's and even um, Lars von Trier, these provocateur-type filmmakers. And I think he was toying with us in this particular movie for the first two acts. He is kind of toying with this idea that this is something that's really happening, while at the same time it's a fable. And is she, you know, Dorothy or is she an Oz, you know, kind of thing. And then in the end, it suddenly, there's a big moment where it kind of crashes in on itself. I, I think in a good way, but in a really disturbing way. Yeah. Where suddenly he's telling you, no, 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 no. You're watching a completely different movie. I've been playing with you up to here. But now it's going to get, sur- man, I was going to say it's going to get real, but it's kind of the opposite of what it does. It becomes this more uh, allegorical thing. And in a certain way... Uh, you could read it as cliche. We've seen the chew them up and spit them out noir ingenue in L.A. tale many times before. But I think there's some twists to it here that make it unique. I think, for instance, Mitch, when we walked out of the theater, you asked me, so did you like it? You know, that typical. And I said, I didn't like it. And then I did like it. And I didn't like it. I did over and over again. One of the parts that I didn't like when I was watching it was the whole ending. Like, I don't know. Are we playing around with spoilers? Are we? Worried about spoilers here, Mitch? I don't feel like we should be spoiling the movie for anybody. Yeah. So I think we are kind of talking around it a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of movies that I actually would take the time to talk around. Right. Like, you know, if it was That's Iron true. Man 6, I'd probably talk about... Wh- there is one, right? Is there a sixth Iron yeah. Man yet? Something. There's. He's been in at least six movies. Yeah, I, I think. think so. I would probably not be too concerned no. about that. But I do think part of the experience and part of the pleasures of this movie are the pleasures of the unexpected, which kind of brings us back to Alien, which kind of brings us back to the space jockey, kind of brings us back to this thing that doesn't have to be in that movie yeah. and isn't even in the script, which we were we forgot to mention that it's not even there's no space jockey in, in any drafts right. of the script that I have ever seen. So it's this thing that's there and it exists to provoke and to to resonate, to shock you and to create mystery and so few movies do that. And Neon Demon, for better or for worse, I do think it, it does do that. It creates a mystery. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the space jockey's absence from so many drafts of the script. As I understand it, the scene in which I referred to where the movie sort of crashes in, uh, Neon Demon, also not in any script. Apparently it was a day of shoot idea that they threw together. The logistics of that are a little complicated for me to think about, but apparently that's apparently that's his preferred method of operation, actually. He likes to, oh, I got a script, but let's go in. If you got an idea, if I got an idea, let's do it. So this incredibly perverse thing that happens in Neon Demon apparently wasn't a preconceived idea either. Right. I don't know if they really serve the same purpose, but just to point out the, the similarity there. To get back to Neon Demon for a minute, there was a sort of coda. I don't know if you'd call it a coda to the movie, but it kind of felt like one at the time. That's sort of why I didn't, mm-hmm. wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. It's like, why are we here? with? There's an analogy you could make to yeah. a similar kind of coda 
that exists in To Live and Die in L.A., oh, yeah, where sure. the movie kind of goes to one place and in some ways you think, well, why isn't the movie over now? Right. But the movie continues. And I think that strategy is at work in this movie as well. But that's part of the fun of it, I think. Yeah, I think it's interesting. What it, what I was My point before I got kind of caught up in the spoiler phobia for a minute was that this movie, while it could be conceived of as something you've seen before, the you know, ingenue eaten up and spit, in, spit out in L.A. movie, it becomes something completely different at the end, actually, because it twists the point of view in a way that at the time I found frustrating, but in hindsight I find to be maybe the best thing about the movie. Um, yeah, Neon Demon, guys, it's gone from theaters, I'm sure, almost everywhere in the world. It'll be streaming sometime soon. I highly recommend you give it a shot. And I also uh, want to give a shout-out to Cliff Martinez, who did the score once again. And it's just it's so rich, full, beautiful score. So get your sound bars or whatever sound system you use when you watch it to crank it up a little bit. At the very least, even if the movie doesn't work for you, uh, your ears will be happy, I think. So have you watched anything else that, that uh, you wanted to talk about? I've been watching a little bit of television, and uh, two particular shows I've been watching that I, I think couldn't be any more different but have similar pleasures in certain ways. And that's I've been watching Mr. Robot, the USA television show, and um, I've been watching Stranger Things, the Netflix television show. And, and I'm sure when this comes out, both of these shows are really hot shows right now, I guess is the way to put it. Everybody's talking about them. Everybody's binging Stranger Things. And I really didn't have, I don't have anything crazy to say about either one of them. One thing I'll tell you is that Mr. Robot, it takes me to a place where I do not want to watch two episodes in a row ever of that show. It makes me feel disturbed in ways that I'm not ready to feel disturbed that way again today. I'll wait until tomorrow. I had that reaction to Black Mirror. Yeah. You know, oh, I, yeah. one was enough. Yeah. And I can stop and I can go like, you know. If the sun is out, go look at the sun. Not not directly into the sun. Right. But, um, yeah, so I, I hear that. I haven't watched either one of those, and they're both on my list. I've been so busy watching Paul Schrader movies that I right. haven't had a chance to, to, to watch that stuff. I want to say one thing about Stranger Things, too. And, again, I'm not going to spoil anything. I haven't watched it all yet. You know, conversely, this is the kind of show I could, if I had a sick day or something, I could wake up in the morning, I could watch all eight hours of this show, in one sitting. I'm not doing that either. Uh, it's partially because I don't have time to, but I'm watching it as a midnight movie every night. It's just kind of dorky. So you're waiting till it's 11 o'clock at night or something? Close to, to it because the guy, the guy that lives in my basement, also known as my roommate, <laughs> I wait till he gets home from work and we watch it together, you know? And uh, But it's kind of worked out that it's about midnight. It's a perfect time for the show. Um, it's, it's such a great blend of all of the things that I love from my childhood, that it's such a pleasure. I would love to watch it over and over again. And I'll tell you, Mitch, the, I watched that first episode when it hit that ending where, you know, you cut to credits like so many television shows do. They leave you with some kind of a question or, you know, the cliffhanger or whatever it may be and go to credit. I was as thoroughly excited by it as I have been by anything in a really long time. It was I was just super excited about this show. And part of it's, again, the music, this score. It's a real John Carpenter-esque synth score. I'm a sucker for it, that kind of stuff. And it's even, it's so rich and full, too. It's between Cliff Martinez and the people doing this music. Uh, there's some really cool stuff going on with scoring. 
I'm probably going to end up talking about this show a little bit more later as, as we go on. Once I've watched it all and once I feel like everybody's watched it and you've watched it, Mitch, I think this is something we could talk about. Yeah. Because there's a particular thing about it, stylistically speaking, that I think is a good subject matter that maybe we could dive into almost maybe as the main theme of, a, of an episode. So, Mitch, you mentioned Paul Schrader, though. Yeah, I've been revisiting a lot of Paul Schrader movies. Yeah. And uh, I recently... Watched Hardcore, which I don't think I have seen since it first came out. And I had kind of a indifferent opinion of the movie. And I thought it was really good. I really liked it a lot. And it was funny because I was looking up some re- reviews of the time when it came out. And it, it was not received particularly well. And, of course, it's the movie that famously um, George C. Scott was giving Paul Schrader a tough time during the making of it. And he's like, why are you torturing me like this? And can you stop? Can you just do what I ask you to do? And George C. Scott said, I will do what you ask me to do on one condition, and that is that you promise to never direct another picture as long as you live. (laughs) Jesus. Um, But I think it's a movie that has really, really interesting moments, and it's a great time capsule. Like, I just believe that all movies exist in multiple time frames. You know, the time when when they're set, the time when they're made, and the time when they're received. And there may be something to be said for the movie working as this really interesting time capsule and this really nasty portrait of pre-AIDS America sex trade. One of the critics made the point that the film fails because George C. Scott's character is never seduced because he plays a father, a very religious father whose daughter has run away and he goes to Los Angeles to find her and she's in the porno business and he's trying to track her down. And she's appeared in the in some porno films, and there's a question about whether some of these are snuff films. And this reviewer said that that because he's never tempted by any of this hedonism around him, that that the movie fails. To which I kind of say, well, that would have been a different movie. That that's not what this movie is about, and that's not the attitude that Schrader wants to give you. He's not trying to seduce you, the way in American Gigolo. He's clearly trying to seduce us with all the pleasures of the world that Julian lives in and these beautiful clothes and this beautiful Richard Gere and he's got a beautiful car and there's beautiful women and it's it's a much more seductive kind of experience. But hardcore's not like that. And it's it's cold and yet it's really engaging. And Peter Boyle is in it and he's so good. And actually Susan Hubley is in it and she's really great. So that's one that um, is worth looking at. At, You know, Schrader started with um, Blue Collar which has Yafet Koto in it and Richard Pryor and Harvey Keitel. And that was his first directing thing. Then he, then he made Hardcore, uh, then he made American Gigolo, and then he made Cat People. He was almost, mm. almost to the four in a row, the miracle right. four in a row, but Cat People is so bad. It's right. like, it's a great bad movie. I mean, it's, it's so great to look at, and Pauline Kael said about it that, Every frame in it looks like an album cover of a record you never want to play. <laughs> so, um, so Cat People is ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, he didn't quite make the the quadrifecta or whatever we want to call it. You know, I've never seen Hardcore, so that's a blind spot for me. But I was uh, going to say Cat People is a, is a soundtrack to me. Um, again, man, this is going to be three times where electronic synth scores oh, yeah. come up for me. Right. You could. People, you'll, you'll get a real good idea what my taste in music is. Love Marauders. That score is amazing. And Bowie's track on it's great. Too. The production design is great, and yeah. kind of, and and the the cinematography is great, and but the script is just so bad. <laughs> and one of the critics said that it's as if every time there's a possible pleasure that the movie can deliver, 
Schrader pulls back from it and won't give you anything. Could be true. Uh, other others said he was incompetent and he's just a bad director. I don't I don't agree with that. But uh, Cat People is a really strange misfire of a movie. Well, and what, okay, so American Gigolo was somewhat of a I mean it was a phenomenon. It was a big hit. Yeah, it was a big hit. We've talked in other episodes uh, of Alien Minute about sort of the Scots and Adrian Lyons and so on and setting this aesthetic standard for the eighties to come. And I we didn't mention American Gigolo, but it's right there. You oh know? yeah. I mean, was it nineteen eighty? Yeah, it came out in 1980. And it really sets uh, a tone. Like, you could see it, it being a, the hit that it is, like, had a lot to do with that. But how, do you know how Schrader responded to the success of American Gigolo? Did he... I think he made Cat People. I think he had well, a chance to mean. go, go to, the, to a big studio and make a big studio picture with all the toys. Because American Gigolo is still not was not a particularly expensive movie. Right. I mean, it feels expensive because everything that everybody's wearing and every, the way it's designed and the way the camera moves and all that has this real interesting gloss to it. But I think that Cat People was a chance to do a genre movie with the full force of Universal Pictures behind you, and it was a remake of a movie that he was that he was really enamored with. And conceptually, it was a way to take a movie that was made before the production code, I mean, during the production code, and now that the production code was... Is, a, is gone you could take all that sexual stuff that's kind of sub rosa and bring it up to the surface and then add more sex to it and add more sex right. to that and add more sex to that um you see that pattern so often with a lot of these new american cinema guys you know that right. they they struggle to make these smaller smaller films they get bigger and bigger and finally then they get to do a studio picture and martin scorsese does new york new york right right <laughs> spielberg spielberg does 1941 yep. um and that's okay you know peter bogdanovich did at Long Last Love and yeah, I was trying to think Lucky, what his, Lucky Lady were yeah. both, I think, and Nickelodeon. I think he had three yeah. explosions in a row. Uh, and Michael Cimino, obviously. Heaven's Gate. Um, so it's a pattern, and it's an yeah. interesting pattern. And Schrader bounced back. I, and I, I love, I still am always interested in what he's up to. I thought The Canyons was interesting. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that picture Affliction with Nick Nolte and James Coburn is a masterpiece. Yeah. So for some reason, I'm kind of in a, Paul Schrader mood and he's been contributing essays to film comment that have been they're really great looking at a century of movie making American filmmaking um so you mentioned in you know relation to these Paul Schrader films you mentioned Blue Collar Hardcore American Gigolo Cat People four in a row Cat People failing this four in a row uh movie I don't know what to call it a game it's kind of a game we play and folks I don't know for some of you you might have listened to us on the great other minute, one of the other minute podcasts this week, we were on Indiana Jones Minute talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And on one of the episodes, it sort of naturally came up. We, t- we were talking about our favorite Spielberg films, and we got kind of talking about what he did in the 70s and early 80s and, and with Jaws, Close Encounters, 1941, and then Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it made me think, uh, Mitch and I, um, we played this little game of sorts. I had this thought about Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola in his work in the 70s. And I thought, man, the Godfather, the conversation, the Godfather 2 and Apocalypse Now, has there ever been four better movies in a row made by the same guy? And there's just a question thrown out there that became this obsessive thing where you started thinking of four in a row from any filmmaker you could to try to say it matched Coppola. And uh, we sort of, immediately took Kubrick out of the picture. <laughs> we thought, well, Kubrick made more than four in a row that are on that level, so let's just take Kubrick out of the picture. So we play this game, and, and you know we don't have to go into it too far, but folks... Do we take Kurosawa out of the picture, too? 
that's tough for me. He's my favorite filmmaker. Yeah. Well, and, and so obviously, this I think is we subjective. took Kubrick. It's very subjective. Very yeah. subjective, yeah. folks. This is not. But it's a great game. Like I, I think I've had people get frustrated with me from time to time because they'll mention four movies in a row, and one of them to me, I just think objectively does not stand up to any of the four Coppola films in question. But they'll get frustrated. Well, I think it does. Well, that's fine. Uh, but uh, it's a fun game, guys. And if you're for the cinephiles out there listening. Let's hear it. Let's hear some of your ideas because we've been through, not by any means all of them, but a ton of filmmakers trying to find these four in a row. And we found maybe a couple, but we won't reveal that now. We'll let you reveal that if you uh, come up with the same ones we did. So, yeah. And, and you know what? We'll entertain names for this game uh, as oh, well. Oh, yeah. We don't have a name. We That's don't true. really have a name. It's yeah. really hard to to you lock like, down. You don't like Quadrifecta? The Quadrifecta, sure. The cinematic Quadrifecta. The Coppola Quadrifecta. We yeah. have to name, name it, it after yeah, Coppola. So. The Zoetrope Quadrifecta. It could be, yeah. That sounds so. like a conspiracy movie from the 70s. <laughs> well, that sounds great. It's the, perfect. The, the, the conversation. Quadrifecta. <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, we should bring it back to Alien a little bit, maybe. You want to talk a little bit about Alien and yeah. some, some things I that we haven't I just want to talk about some, some reception stuff. Sure. Um, there are some reviews that I, I was reading that stuff that came out at the time and different opinions and it's fun to kind of time travel and see how that works i just thought i'd see what the new yorker thought of this movie and i thought maybe pauline kale would have written about it but she didn't in 1979 in may when the movie came out a guy named brendan gill was writing for the new yorker and so he saw alien and i just thought it's kind of interesting because he basically said that it was terrible he said that uh, it, he thought it was boring. Uh, he says, um, Outer space appears to be unfit for everyone except slobs and blobs. The half dozen slobs who make up the crew of the vast spaceship Nostromo are of ordinary human origin and something less than ordinary. Then he goes on to say, um, Their resourcefulness is as limited as their conversation and all but one of them are readily killed off by a blob that is described as possessing a superior, totally amoral brain, but whose only observable attributes are a voracious appetite and a distressing tendency to drool. A small yellow cat named Jones is aboard the Nostromo and, sur and survives several perilous encounters with the blob, and from this fact one may deduce that the blob is itself something of a slob. So now you're kind of going, really? Like, okay, so here's the game you're playing, right? I should be doing with this with some sort of mid, what do they call it, mid-Atlantic accent, lockjaw. Like the the yeah. Long Island lockjaw, I think. Yes. They, yes. Uh, um, yeah, and he says, um, though I'm willing to admit that the blob provided me with a scared moment or two in its earliest incarnations, I am one who eagerly tested himself in childhood against the horrors of the bat and the cat and the canary and an alien, my health had far more to fear from boredom than from heart failure. So, anyway, yeah, so it's it's like so blob and slob and he makes little, you know, jokes and puns and, um, and he concludes with, uh, many experts have supplied the special effects which are wonderful and yet less wonderful than we would have thought them a few year, short years ago. I wonder if the ease with which we become jaded by wonders isn't part of the unchangingness. I don't know if that's a word. Jaded by wonders isn't a part of the unchangingness of man's nature. It's, it's a word because it was printed in the New Yorker. In the New Yorker, right. Yeah. It automatically makes it a word. So there's that. So that yeah. was not a particularly 
Um, well, so I would love now that you bring this guy in and <laughs> read me that review. I kind of, what did he have to say about Jaws, for instance? I'd be curious. Yeah. I, I could hear him saying, had he had Jaws in mind at all, well, we've seen this like wraithish, um, single minded, man eating villain before, just two, four short years ago or whatever. And uh, well, does he not see that as a value, something valuable within a villain? Because he seemed to dismiss that. Well, was he offended that the alien didn't get a proper characterization here, like with more with real motivation? I'm confused by what he what his problem was with that part. You, as, it, as it proceeds from one revolting state of growth to the next, it is presumably gaining in intellect as well as size, but surely a blob that plays hob with the slobs and yet cannot outspat a cat isn't worth our serious attention for long. Oh, my God. <laughs> Brendan Gill, I'm saying it right now. Is, you're, he, you're, is you're, he still around, Mitch? Make sure he's still... You're kind of a dick. Is, anyway. Uh, is he still with us, I don't Mitch? know if he is. I don't know. I like I'm to find out. Up. That's one thing I like to find out. But I think this is one of those situations where the... Clearly the bon mot is more important than the, the, bon than the film. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Do you have any, any, any I, reviews? I've got, I got a bad review, other... too. All right. From, from across the pond... Oh, really? Yeah. Um, awesome. This is Derek Malcolm of The Guardian. And he wrote this when it came out? He wrote this when it came out. Oh, so what was his general impression? It, was, it wasn't that far off from what you just read. In a lot of these reviews, I've gone through and read, uh, you know, excerpts. I can find lots of excerpts of bad, you know, that's kind of a popular list thing to do out there. There's so some bad reviews of Alien, but they don't actually give you the review. They just give you an excerpt or something. And a lot of it is praise for the production damning the script right the script is empty the characters are empty um one of them i read well this one wasn't from the time it was actually from 2011 where uh it said something about a ship only inhabited by bodies which were sometimes uh, embodied by sigourney weaver thompson and just this thing this idea that these people are empty and useless and oh is it the david thompson idea that they just well there's the david thompson i was going to say that's another David Thompson wrote extensively in the Alien uh, Quartet, his book, about this very thing. And I just don't see where they're getting this. That they only exist to get knocked off. That they only exist to get knocked off. I feel like it's lazy. It's lazy horror movie reading. I think it could either be that the reviewer was lazy. And God bless them. They have to watch every damn movie. I know. Sometimes you're going to give a lazy review because you just watch four movies in a row. Um. You think you know what you're going to get. It's sci-fi. It's horror. It's something that nobody had seen before at the time. So you're going to scribble off a bunch of dismissals because it seemed on the surface like something you'd seen before. The, you know, the haunted house, the ship, you know, ghost ship, whatever you want. Right. So here's the last paragraph. We'll just go to the last paragraph. Some people call it a cruel, heartless, and essentially exploitative opus. Something to gibber at. Is that how you pronounce that word? G-I-B-B-E-R, in fact. But Alien is not in the business of old-style family entertainment, which was, after all, often as warm and gooey as a hot trickle and about as nourishing. It bases its appeal on a different set of values. Not very enlightening ones, no doubt. No doubt, he says. But exactly in tune with much more with a much more cynical times. It deserves a success for gauging and gorging its audience so thoroughly. Technically a British film, it certainly shows how much talent we have in this country, if, if only we had the courage to develop it ourselves. But that's another story and a much less exciting one. 
What I was trying to get. Yeah, from, from, from. Yeah, yes, very well. Yes, yes, yes. No, so we're not making fun of British people at all. We're not. It's fun. Yeah, well, there you go. Is he hinting a little bit here at this this concept of alien as endurance test? I think that's an interesting topic as far as what that means to modern viewers of Alien. A lot of people said that. <laughs> I've got this issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland. Yeah. Uh, a, a dodgy source at best, but they had put out an issue that will put the cover out uh, on the site because it's hilarious, uh, where they invited people in their world to comment on Alien. And one person did say, let's see, this was Ron Waite, 21-year-old veteran of Famous Monsters, and now our assistant editor has plenty to say about Alien. Ever since I saw the movie, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out if I liked it or hated it. In all the years I've been seeing such films, I have never been so involved, so mentally drained and upset. The tension never stops, and for two hours, you're on the edge of your seat living in a nightmare. So that's one of those kind of notions of it being this you know in, endurance test yeah um another person from a special effects guy named eric von bulow whose models and monsters you've appreciated in trilogy of terror food of the gods and are looking forward to in steven spielberg's 1941 <laughs> and i just want to say i hope that he designed the fetish doll in trilogy of terror because that scared the shit out of me as a kid um but he he's not very he's not very kind because he says it seems that these days many of new sci-fi films give priority to special effects and not to the story. With Alien, the technical superiority of the script, directing, and acting was evident. However, the screenplay is sadly lacking in credibility. For instance, the situations of the seven persons involved are just too unreal. The characters come off as just plain vulgar. The impact of the shocking surprises is not carried out to the fullest. The development of the alien, for example, is in stages, and not too much is said about it or shown on screen. So he was really disappointed that he'll be he's gonna love the, the other alien movies. Yeah. Um as to the spaceship itself, <laughs> I feel that the old sci-fi movies of the thirties with the aerodynamic smooth lines were much more logical than the complicated services of today's <laughs> space vehicles. Consider the tubing, antenna, boxes, hatches, plates, etc. The first meteorite storm would probably shave off the trimmings and jam up communications or engines. Perhaps it, it would not be able to glide over the surface and might crash. Do you think that guy likes movies? There's no dragon at all? space. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know, I know. It's so I mean, funny. if you're that dis- if you're that nitpicky, man, I don't think you like movies that much. But at least wow. you know, we, we there were kind words. Um, there were kind words from. Oh, he also says, "This is pretty good too." When the film was over, people in my audience applauded and cheered. They had they had been released from the aliens' grip. I saw several people leave the theater and just as many run from the place sick to their stomachs. Viewers were literally jumping in their seats, screaming aloud, covering their eyes and ears. How great is that? I would love to have seen that. That would have been so cool. Uh, Ray Bradbury said, um, he's quoted in this and and says, uh, a a superb film by a new young director. Well, he was 39, but we'll give him young. A new young director who will go very far in the next few years. The film was somewhat overwhelming at times, but the end result was one of total involvement. I felt convinced, and I was present in the future at an event from which I could not escape. I believed in what I saw and felt. The look of the film is incredible. The horror of it is memorable. It is probably not everyone's cosmic cup of strange tea, but it will be around for a long while. The test is, do you want to see it again? I do. Wow. God bless Ray Bradbury. God bless Ray Bradbury. Now there was another guy, um, and this is my last. This is my last contribution to this discussion, at least at this point. 
a guy named um, Norbert F. Novotny, who as, as is called Famous Monsters Brazilian Correspondent. Make your own jokes. Um, but he was, uh, he did write some speculative fiction, science fiction, and who was, liked the movie a lot, was petrified by it. But then he said, this is really interesting. He goes, fantastically gruesome but hypnotizing scenery by H.R. Giger. And last but not least, a screenplay and story Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett supposedly created. Did you hear that word? Mm-hmm. Supposedly? Supposedly. Yes, I meant supposedly because, as he continues, sci-fi writer A.E. Van Vogt was never mentioned in anything related to the films, such as a press book or souvenir book or article. Being a sci-fi buff, I just happened to remember that back in 1939, Astounding Science Fiction published in its December issue a novelette called Discord in Scarlet, which has, as anyone can see, practically everything there was in Alien. If you'd like to investigate, compare the story written by Van Vogt back in 39 and the screenplay created by O'Bannon and Shusette. Well, since you are reading this anyway, let me introduce you to what I found. A.E. Van Vogt's story begins with the living creature floating in outer space in search of life to procreate. A Terran vessel comes by with a crew of many people and a cat. A woman takes care of the cat. That's in capital letters. That's the crazy cat lady Ripley that we've been talking about. The alien by Van Vogt is utterly unkillable, has an armored skin, and is seeking transportation to rule the new universe as it did in the old one. It gets the humans in order to use them as ghouls, which that's G-U-U-L-S, which in alien language means nest. Specifically, the nest of the alien's eggs are the human stomachs. You see, I'm not speaking of the film. I'm speaking of a writer, A.E. Van Vogt's story, and it goes on like this. Van Vogt's alien moves through walls, metallic walls, by rearranging the molecular structure to pursue its human play human prey while in the movie the creature is cut by the medics and its blood drips to the floor and stops only a few levels before below like boiling oil dripping through frozen butter in van vogt's story the alien deposits its egg inside a human stomach so that when it grows large enough it will eat its way out feeding on the human's insides um so that's that's kind of interesting that's, isn't it? that's compelling yeah so you know in, in conclusion he says um so then he talks about another another story um, oh, he does say um, that there is uh, there's another story that is also similar called the, the Voyage of the Space Beagle. And in that one, you get an alien in outer space overtakes humans in a passing vessel, a ship with a varied crew of both sexes and a cat, aliens that feed on human flesh, depositing its eggs in the human stomach, a German doctor. And in the end, the crew leaves the alien getting away on shuttles. I don't know what German doctors have to do with anything. But um, anyway, he says between these two movies, you have... If A.E. If a. Van Vaught was Harlan Ellison, he would have sued the pants off of him, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, those are some pretty deep similarities, that's for sure. Well, So is that nerdy enough for everybody? Yeah. Did you get it? Did yeah. you guys get that nerdy material you wanted? But I kind of want to go read that short story. I mean, I it sounds like there's sure. enough things that are different, but and, and I'm not saying that it was necessarily cribbed. I watched It, the Terror from Beyond Space, which they always say is the movie that it rips off, which kind of, I mean, yeah, there's a monster that gets that gets on board a spaceship and, and, and starts killing the crew off, but that's about that's about all there is to it. There yeah. are two women and six men, um, so I guess it's a you know gender-mixed crew, but uh, I, this sounds like it's even more, this short story sounds even more like the uh, impetus. And I'm sure Dan O'Bannon, he grew up reading this shit, so he probably, he might have read it and forgot that he read it. One of the more... Uh, dubious claims that some people have made uh, of of Alien being a ripoff was also around the time I would say Shusett 
O'Bannon were shopping the script around. Surely it was written already. I forget when the first draft was written. It was early 70s, right? Yeah, it was early. Um, it's around 75, Doctor Who had an, an arc called Ark in Space. And uh, there's some similar things there. It's, I think it's become kind of a, you know, a popular, since the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, it's just become a popular thing for people to point at as, oh, well, I know about this Doctor Who arc. Isn't it kind of like Alien? Hmm, you know, and people try to raise controversy through it. I watched it. I didn't. There are some things that are similar. But like I said, timing-wise, they seem to have already written the script. And otherwise, it wasn't very similar at all uh, in a lot of ways. It's actually a really entertaining little arc on, for Doctor Who. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about tonight? I think that's it. All right. Well, guys, I hope you liked this uh, supplemental episode. You know, look at our Patreon page and see how we plan on doing this. We plan on doing more. Um, We're going to read some look, emails and questions that, yeah. that are coming in. That's the other thing I was going to mention. We did. We've had a few emails here and there. Uh, to be honest, we'll just address that. If you've sent an email, it's been about the Dippy Birds. And let's be honest, it's kind of been exhausted on the Facebook page. And we have some future episodes where some stuff comes in. And we kind of didn't want to start talking about them again. Because there's some interesting stuff coming in future episodes of, of the proper episodes of Alien Minute that are going to address those things too. So don't feel like we ignored your emails. Um but go ahead and send in more. Uh, and also, if you didn't know, John at AlienMinute.com is a functional email address. Finally, I am not going to go into why it wasn't. It was really confusing, and I actually had to have a friend uh, um, who works at Google uh, in the Bay Area like help me through this and get it figured out. So I'm not the smartest when it comes to a lot of things but uh, computer-wise, but um, he was able to help out. So email me um, at John at AlienMinute.com with uh anything you got to say about the show about alien itself any ideas you have things you think we missed and we'll address them on this uh uh on this episode uh these future episodes i mean maybe not all of them if we get enough of them we might not be able to do all of them but for the time being we probably could get to all of them so and let us know if you you know give us your name and where you're from if you want us to name drop you that's you know if you don't want us to say your name Make Let one us up. know. Yeah, or make one up. Yeah, and you can also, of course, anytime you can tweet us at Alien Minute Pod. And uh, you can also follow us on Alien Minute Podcast on Instagram. And of course, AlienMinute.com is where you go for your daily episodes of Alien Minute. And you can also go to iTunes, Stitcher, or, the, or Google Play and subscribe there. Um, all right, well, that's going to do it for Alien Minute Supplemental Episode Number One. Thank you for listening. <laughs>